0: My name is Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here and excited to unpack and study the Word of God with you and for you today. Um, It's January 20th, so how are we doing on our New Year's resolutions? Doing pretty good? Some of you are like, oh, don't talk about it, right? Um, I was supposed to get healthy and save money and I'm fatter and poorer than I was last year. It's only been 20 days and I'm dumber too. Just kidding, all right, I'm just kidding. Uh, maybe it's just me that struggles with New Year's resolutions 20 days in. Uh, but let me ask you a question uh, to get us going today. How many of you have kids in your home? How many of you how many of you ever had kids in your home? How many of you have ever seen a kid before in your life? <laughs> how many of you were a kid at one time? Okay, I just had those questions. I, they have nothing to do with my sermon today. Um, Just wanted it. No, I have three kids, uh, 10, 5, and 3. I was a kid at one time, uh, but my three kids, Kennedy, Joshua, and Hannah. And I've noticed one of the things that I have to be careful of um, as a father that I have to be intentional about is leading them, guiding them, shepherding these three souls in the area of always wanting more always wanting more stuff, more screen time, more toys, more gadgets, whatever it is. It's, it's part of my job as a father, I've learned. Um, and it's interesting. It's an interesting thing as a father because a big part of my heart wants to give my kids whatever they want, whenever they want it. A big part of my heart just wants to see them happy. I like to see them happy. I mean, Christmas was just a few weeks ago, right? And that's That's the draw, to see your kids happy. That's why we spend so much money. That's our reasoning, that we just want to see the smile. We want to see them be happy in that moment on Christmas morning. And companies understand that, right? And so that's what they sell. They don't sell the product. They sell the smile. They sell the, the excitement. They sell the happiness in the moment. They may even sell the gratitude, The thank you, mom, that you're the best dad in the world, right? They sell that moment, and they're really, really, really good at that. It works really, really well because out of an unhealthy kind of a situation, as parents, we have this desire to see our kids happy. We want them to be happy, and I think that's a godly thing. I, I think it can be a God-exalting thing, a God-honoring thing. It's good, it's just, it's right. But if you're, if you're only working towards that momentary happiness... Instead of being intentional about cultivating in your kids uh, a long-term joy that lasts through moments of happiness or sadness or whatever, if you're only working towards that momentary happiness, you're missing the mark, right? You're, You're missing the mark as a parent in a huge way because once you grow up, you know that What your heart actually longs for is not happiness based on momentary happenstance, but rather joy that doesn't have anything to do with what's happening right now. Doesn't matter what's happening here. Doesn't matter how I feel or what I have or don't have. That's what you're after. You're after that kind of a joy. You know that because you grew up. And that seems pretty obvious maybe, like in theory, Philosophically, it's like, yeah, I get that. That's I get that. We go for the long-term joy. I, I understand that, but it's actually pretty difficult to walk this balance at times. It's so much easier to provide momentary happiness than it is to cultivate this long-term joy, right? It's so much easier. And not always, but often, these two things are at odds with each other. Not always, but often. To provide the momentary happiness is actually to work against cultivating long-term, everlasting joy that has nothing to do with the here and the now. I mean, my kids are like your kids. They, they want more stuff. They, they want more toys, more gadgets, more outfits, more trips, more screens but i 'm constantly trying to figure out how to steward this correctly as the leader of my home and as their father and like like a lot of you guys, you give your like fifth grader or fourth grader or second grader or toddler um, a, a cell phone right uh, You give them the smartphone, you give them the iPhone early on you know you 're just that 's what you do just give them the Give them the smartphone. Well, my, my daughter, she's 10. She's in fourth grade, um, and she, she wants an iPhone, you know. She wants to have an iPhone, and she's told me like most of her classmates have an iPhone, and most of her, half of her classmates at least come to Great Oaks, and so that's you guys, so thanks for that. <laughs> uh, but, so she, she, she tells me, hey, my, my, my friends, most of them have, have iPhones. She wants one. I know it would make her happy. I know it would make her happy, but I'm not sure it would lead to that deep joy that transcends the here and the now i'm not sure that her getting what she wants all the time is actually a good thing for her i'm not i'm not totally sure that that's what i should be doing and i would say she's she's a very content little girl don't look at her she's a very content Little girl for a ten-year-old, she's she doesn't ask for much. When I try to buy her stuff, a lot of times her answer is like, "How much does it cost?" You know, I don't I don't need that. I'm just gonna it's too much money. I don't you don't have to spend that money on me. That's usually kind of her mode of operation. So she doesn't ask for a lot of things. So should we ask, should, when she talks about a iPhone or a phone, uh, she, she's got her reasons, right? She's got it lined out. She's like, "Daddy, if I got a phone, I would be able to text you and call you when I'm." missing you and and you would be able to know where I am and like if I needed mommy to pick me up from somewhere I, I you know I would be able to text her and tell her call her and tell her and and I would be safer dad I would be safe. I didn't say she was an angel all right she knows how to work us all right just like your kids she knows how to work her parents and so historically, over the last couple of years, as we've talked through this, my answer and Aaron, Aaron and I's answer is always kind of the same. It's like, okay, you, you think that it'll be good because we'll know where you are and it'll be safer, but here's the thing. I know where you are because I took you there <laughs> and I left you there and you're still there. So as long as you don't leave where you're left by your parents, you'll be fine. You're 10. Just don't run away and you'll be safe, right? Right? Like, it's not, I'm not worried about it. So I'm not worried you don't have to text me. I miss you, but I'll see you in a couple hours, right? Our absence makes the heart grow fonder. So we told her that our plan is, in these conversations, has always been, hey, listen, as soon as you're going places we're not sure where you're at, then we'll give you a phone. So basically, when you drive. When you're driving yourself somewhere, we'll give you a phone. So we're talking about 15. So when you turn 15, that's when you actually need a phone. And so that, that's been our answer um, to her. But there was this, like, <sighs> Black Friday sale uh, at Verizon, you know. And so that's been what we said. You're not going to get a phone or whatever. But then there was a sale, and uh, I was at Verizon hanging out. And, and they were, like, having a sale. And it wasn't it was not a phone. It was on a, a watch called a gizmo watch. I don't know if you've heard of these, but they, they allow you to call, the kid to call four people that you pre-program in. They can't call anywhere else. They can't text. They just can call these from their phone. That's all they can do. It doesn't do really anything else except for it tracks their location. Because God forbid, I don't know my kid's GPS coordinates at all times, day and night. Right? Like God forbid that... That I don't have that figured out and it doesn't alert me when she walks out of the school area or whatever. Um, so I kind of compromised and she got this little watch and she likes it and I like it, but she doesn't need it. Not, I don't need for her to have it. I don't, I don't need for her to have it. Your kids will take as much stuff as you give them, they are bottomless pits, aren't they? I mean, they will take stuff, they will take toys, they will take outfits, trips, gadgets. If you give it to them, they will they'll be like, don't spend money on me. And they're like, oh, great. You know, they'll take it. Like they'll always take it. They're bottomless pits. So there's this tension. I'm thinking you felt this with your kids, if, if you've got kids. Maybe you felt it with your own heart even. And if you have kids and you haven't felt this tension, then you're probably the parent that doesn't even think about it. You just buy whatever the newest thing is. Your answer is always yes. You're not even thinking about it. Like, what's the, okay, yeah, let's buy the, the newest gadget, the newest thing, the, the greatest place to go. Let's just one-up it every year because that, I'm all about this momentary happiness. And if that's you, that's probably not the way to go. It's probably not the way to go. If you haven't felt this tension, maybe you're not that. Maybe you're on the other side where you just say no all the time. Like you don't you don't ever say yes. Like your kid asks you for something, a PlayStation or an iPhone or whatever, and you're like, you know who didn't have a PlayStation and an iPhone? <laughs> Jesus <laughs> and Abraham Lincoln, and they turned out great. So you don't need it, you know. So if that's you, that's probably not good either, right? Like so, there's probably a tension to manage, a a balance to strike at some at some level, right? And. It definitely doesn't take care of itself, this whole thing. With your kids, there there has to be a goal. There has to be a plan. There has to be there has to be intentionality. And speaking of intentionality, that's that's what this series we're in is all about, focus in 2019. I wanted us to start this year by talking about, like, what should we focus on for the year? What should we focus on in our lives? Like, what is most important? What matters most? Not good things, but God things. Not just, like, neutral things that maybe aren't sinful, but, but really aren't good either, but, but best things spiritual habits and disciplines that if you will make them a part of your life first will lead you on a path Jesus Christ they don't answer the question of salvation they don't give you what you need in the moment but they lead you towards Jesus it's a path that leads to a person Jesus Christ because the only resolution that will matter when we get to 2020 and we look back on 2019 is a resolution a commitment to become more like Jesus in a significant way this year to become more like Jesus. And if that is your resolution, the question becomes, how? How do we do this? How do we go about this? What should we focus on? What should we watch out for? Because there's so much you could do, right? Even within the God realm, there's so much you could do. And there's so many distractions that would keep you from God things. So what, so what should we focus on? What should our focus be? We, we talked about the inward focus last week, and, Next week will be our together focus. What what do we focus on together? Spiritual habits that we do together as the body of Christ. And that's going to be a great Sunday, so don't miss next week. But today is is the outward focus. So 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15 is kind of our anchor passage. If you have your Bible, you can grab it head over to Luke 12. That's where we'll we'll, we'll camp out for a little bit later. Uh, But 1 Corinthians 12, I'm, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 12, Um, says this. It's been our anchor passage for this series. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. So we're building on the foundation of Christ in our lives. We can build our lives with a bunch of different stuff, right? On the foundation of Jesus, the Apostle Paul is writing, you've got this choice. You can build with wood, hay, straw. You can build with gold and precious stones. You can build with good things, neutral things, sinful things. You can build with God things and best things. You've got this choice. What are you going to build your life with? And it says it matters right it absolutely matters because fire will test it and in the end it will either be burned up and you'll get reward or it will I'm sorry that's backwards it will either stand the test of fire and you'll get reward or it'll be burned up and you will suffer great loss and so the question becomes what should we focus our our lives what should we focus building our lives with what materials should we use So I'm going to give you four outward focuses pretty quickly here, but I'll spend almost all of my time on just one of them. But all four of these are worth your time and worth your study. I just had to choose one because of our time. And so I've put in the bulletin, in the notes section, some resources for you to check out having to do with spiritual disciplines, the ones that we're talking about. One resource, one book that we're referencing throughout this series, I would love for you to get, it's got a chapter on each spiritual discipline, all 12 um, of the ones that we're talking through, and uh, that's Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. So you can grab that book, read it together as a, as a couple or with a friend or a mentor or something like that. But here are four outward spiritual disciplines that coupled with the inward and th- the together spiritual disciplines we're talking about form this path that help you be more like Jesus. Solitude, service, submission, And simplicity. Solitude, service, submission, and simplicity. And so solitude is all about getting alone with God on a regular basis. Not just for like 10 minutes or you know, now I'm not when I say alone with God, I'm not talking about on your drive to work. That is that is a good time to be praying and stuff, but I'm talking about within solitude, getting away from the busyness and distractions, not just getting away from people, but getting away from noise and spending time concerted time with God and his word to hear from him, to listen to what he's saying, to be transformed by him, and most importantly, to deal with the sin that you're struggling with in your heart. All of us have sin in our heart. The question is, are you dealing with it? And in our society and in our time, what we tend to do, even as Christians, is that when we feel uncomfortable, when we are accidentally silent enough, like we get snowed in, or the power goes out, or our phone isn't working, or we left it somewhere, or whatever, when we are accidentally, or, or, or whatever, forced to be silent for a little bit, uh, we, we, we don't like it. Because then stuff starts to bubble up. right? Stuff starts to come up that we have to deal with. We start to see ourselves clearly. That's the Holy Spirit convicting us because we've taken a moment to sit still And and maybe to, to listen, even if accidentally. So what we'll do is when we feel that, we'll look around for something to distract us. We'll turn on the music. We'll turn on Netflix. We'll go somewhere. We'll get busy cleaning up the house. Whatever it is, we'll look for something. Solitude is about allowing that to happen in our lives, welcoming it, and dealing with the sin that comes up that the Holy Spirit convicts us of, repenting of that sin, and becoming more... Like Jesus, so many of us are guilty of just rushing through life. Weeks or days, weeks, months, years, decades fly by. And we have little to no alone time with the God of the universe to hear from him. Think about that. We're Christ followers. Our goal is to find out the will of God and obey it. That's it. Find out the will of God and obey it. And yet, we're never alone with him long enough to hear him. How are we supposed to make decisions? How are we supposed to live for him if we don't have this spiritual discipline of solitude? So that's solitude. Service is about living for others uh, rather than living for ourselves. It's about serving others with our lives, but not just serving others. This spiritual discipline is about motive. Why do you serve others? A lot of us, we serve others because it makes us feel good. We get a high from it. We feel good about ourselves. We're not as bad as we thought we were. We go home. We get a we get a high out of serving other people. This is not this is that that can't be your motive. This, this the motive behind this is, is actually others. It's about their needs. It's about actually helping them. That's your motive. That and following the commands of God. And so that's that's service in, in the idea within the idea of spiritual disciplines and a focus. So solitude and service and as I was deciding which one of these uh, to focus on this week, it really was a toss-up between these last two, submission and simplicity, because I don't think we do either of them very well in our culture and in our time. Submission and simplicity. To us, submission is a bad thing. It's a bad word. It means losing. It means giving up. It means yielding, right? It means being a slave or something like that. And so to us, submission is a bad thing, but that's not the way the Bible teaches about submission. In, in the Bible, submission, there, there's so much freedom found and joy found in biblical submission. So this is one I really encourage you to study up on, talk to your mentor about, talk to your wife or your husband about, your friend, work through it together, study. What does it mean to submit uh, in a biblical way. and this um, that this is submission to to God, submission to your family, submission to the church and the leaders that God has put over the church to to keep watch over your souls, like Hebrews uh, says. This whole thing starts with Philippians two three. You can write that down, Philippians two three just says, consider others better than yourself. Consider others better than yourself. and And so submission becomes pretty easy when pride is not in the mix. So something to to think about, something to study. It's not something we do very well in our culture. But the one I want to spend uh, the rest of our time on today is, is simplicity. So as you make a commitment to become more like Jesus in a significant way in 2019, simplicity is one of the spiritual habits and focuses that you should be looking at establishing in your life. Um, with the others. It's on this path that leads to the person, Jesus Christ. And this is all over the scriptures, this idea of simplicity. It's it's all over the scriptures. It's just that we tend to uh, ignore it. And I think the reason we ignore it is because we're not good at it. It's because we're failing at it. It's because the way we've built our lives is contrary to this spiritual discipline of simplicity and it really challenges a lot of, of the core of American culture and identity because what, we, what, what the Bible calls coveting, we call ambition. And what the Bible calls hoarding and laying up treasures on earth that will not last, we call prudence and good financial planning. What the Bible calls greed, we tend to call natural We call it improvement. We call it the upgrade. We call it next level. I mean, globally, we live in an unbelievably rich and affluent place. We have more stuff and complexity in our lives than any other culture or people in the history of the world. All this stuff that we have was supposed to make our lives simpler. It was supposed to make things easier. It was supposed to make time for the things that matter most. But it didn't. All this stuff, that it, it didn't make any time for us. It just made everything more complex. It produced lives bloated With things to do, possessions to protect, trinkets to shine, and notifications to check. Look at Luke chapter 12. Jesus gets a question in Luke chapter 12, he answers with a principle. And with a parable, we'll look at both, the principle and the parable. It says this in Luke 12, 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? In other words, why are you talking to me about this? Verse 15. And he said to them, the, gr- the group, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Now stop there for a second. Just so we're clear, covetousness is wanting something you don't have that someone else does have. Anyone ever wanted something that you don't have that someone else has? Yeah, of course you have. When we do this, when we look at someone, we go, that's a life I want. That's a job I want. That's a car I want. That's a, a level of house that I want. When we look at that, we go, that's ambition. That's just me. I just want to, I'll, I'll work hard. I'll put in the work. I'll get there slowly. I'll work my way up. I'll get that stuff. I'll be in that place. We call that ambition. God guy comes up to Jesus and says, hey, can you get my brother to give me some of the inheritance? Divide the money with me. Jesus goes, be on your guard against wanting things you don't have that other people do have. Covetousness. That's what it is. That's what he says next that I think is important for us. A principle and a parable, I said. Here's, Here's the principle I was talking about. Verse 15 Again, says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. If there was one verse to fly in the face of our culture's biggest. Problem, biggest struggle, biggest sin issue. this might be this may be it. Luke 12 verse 15. one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, stuff does not determine self. Stuff doesn't determine self. your stuff. Does not define your identity. What you have really has nothing to do with who you are. That's the principle. This this is a verse to remember, one to write down, one to put on your mirror, one to put on your wall in the entryway when you come home in a nice, like nice framed thing. I think right now you have Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven there, right? God knows the plans I have for you to prosper you, to make you rich and all that. Well, maybe you take that down and you put this. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Beloved, let whatever has set you and your life on this never-ending journey for more. Whatever it is, but you're after more. Upgrade followed by upgrade followed by upgrade. Let that be corrected in you right here and right now. Let the Holy Spirit drill this truth deep into your soul and make things right there. Stuff doesn't define or determine self. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So that's the principle. Look at the parable. I said Principle and a parable. Here it is, verse 16. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build large ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink be merry okay so at this point we've got a guy whose harvest came in bigger than he expected and he ran out of room storing it and so he goes i'm gonna i'm gonna build some bigger barns i'm gonna tear these down i'm gonna build bigger barns because i've got to store all this stuff no big deal right No, no big deal but when jesus sees this he sees a problem but do we we don't, right? We just think, he has more, he, he has, has more to store. No, no big deal. We think, what's wrong with that? We don't think of it naturally from the perspective of what he needs. We only think of it from the perspective of what he has. He has more, therefore, he needs to build more. He needs to use more. He needs to expand, Right? Then this guy thinks to himself, once I enlarge the barns, then I'll be good to go. I'll have enough for years to come. I can just relax and hang out. Again, when Jesus sees this, he sees a problem. But do we? No. We call this retirement. Right? I'm going to put away a bunch of stuff, a bunch of money, so that I can take it easy. Relax, eat, drink, be merry in my old age. That's retirement. And I'm not saying that retirement or expanding is necessarily sinful. I'm just saying that Jesus sees a problem with something that we wouldn't even bat an eye at. We wouldn't even consider it being sinful. It's just every day to us. It means nothing to us. I'm not saying it's necessarily sinful. I'm just saying it may be a problem. It may be a problem. Maybe it's not always God's will for you to keep everything you have. Maybe it's not always God's will for you to hoard more and more and put it away for the future. How do I know that? Well, look at what God says to the guy in the parable. Verse 20. He just said, I'm going to have a lot. I'm going to hang out. I'm going to retire. Verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. God calls him a fool because he chose heaven. I mean, he chose earth over heaven, good things over God things because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions because there's more to life than here and now because all that is physical will pass away, but the spirit will remain because there's something different between t- temporary things and eternal things because being rich is a damning thing to be unless you are rich towards God. That's what Luke 12 just said. But let me try to strike a balance here because you know I care about that want to make you feel good before you leave. No, let me try to strike a, a truthful balance here because this is not just about wanting more when you have a lot. It's not, it's not just about spending too much or buying too much. Simplicity is about unconcern for possessions. That's what simplicity is about. It's about unconcern for possessions possessions it's about your joy having nothing to do with what you have or don't have so sometimes those most concerned with material things are those without material things right so this isn't all about you have too much and you're concerned too much with what you have you you could you could be you know without and still have a problem with this does that make sense So so the overspender, the overborrower who who is constantly reaching for more stuff, wanting more stuff, and the person who, who is so stingy that they struggle to give a tip at the restaurant and the shoes they're wearing, they've been wearing for 20 years, and they don't want to buy a new pair of shoes. I'm not knocking your shoes from 20 years ago, okay? Keep wearing them if you want to wear them. I'm just saying if you can't spend enough money to buy a new pair of shoes every 20 years, you probably have a problem, right? There may be an issue there. Both of these people are missing it. Just because you don't have much or buy much doesn't mean you've got this simplicity thing figured out. And I keep mentioning our culture, Western culture and American culture, modern culture, but it's not just that. It's, this is really about church culture, it's in our culture here in in church. We have this pretty large vein of Christian teaching that's become known as the prosperity gospel, saying that God's desire is for you to have a bunch of stuff. That if you have faith and believe him and follow him, that you'll be healthy and wealthy all of your days. And it is absolutely false teaching. It is untrue. It's dangerous stuff. Because what it does is it gives us a reason and an excuse to give into our natural tendency towards materialism, greed, and selfishness. And covetousness, as Jesus called it. So this is a danger. This is happening. A big vein of Christian teaching today is prosperity gospel. And it's, it's... Based on scriptures plucked from their context and totally misunderstood, it's dangerous. The Bible talks about suffering. It talks about a God who, like a good parent, gives and takes away. Jesus taught the way of like extreme, fanatical self-denial. Being willing to carry your cross. In other words, being willing to enter into the worst kind of punishment for the sake of the kingdom at a moment's notice. To give everything you have to the kingdom of God. So in church culture, there's this prosperity gospel, but there's all this, there's also this other side, and I'll call it the poverty gospel. The poverty gospel teaches that to have faith, to really follow Jesus, means that you can't have anything, that you can't have any material possessions whatsoever. Think about a monk. Who makes it takes a vow of poverty goes live on a street or in a monastery and has absolutely no worldly goods whatsoever that 's the poverty gospel. Everything should be given away in fact, anything material is sinful and will hurt my relationship. With Jesus. In the poverty gospel, there's no room for God to bless you materially in order for you to bless others materially. There's no room for that. There's no place in the poverty gospel for a land flowing with milk and honey. There's no place for anything like that. It's wrong too. Both of these things are wrong. Because in Philippians 4, you can write it down and look at it later. The Apostle Paul said that he had learned how to be content in every situation. He would learned how to be content when he was, had abundance and when he had lack. When he didn't have anything and when he had everything. Every situation he learned how to be content. Because simplicity is not about having nothing. It's about unconcern for possessions. The spiritual discipline of simplicity is this biblical balance between prosperity gospel and poverty gospel. Because if we're not careful... We can easily fall into this camp over here and justify our materialism and our greed and our selfishness and covetousness, or we can overcorrect and we can create this legalistic form of self-denial, neither are right. The biblical balance is simplicity. It's simplicity. So simplicity is unconcern for possessions. But Let me just give you um, the key to this spiritual discipline uh, really quick. We'll call it actually the standards of simplicity. Write these down. This is something to kind of think through, talk through, say over and over in your head until you remember them. Here's the first one, standard of simplicity. First one, God gave me what I have. Write that down. God gave me what I have. Everything that exists exists comes from God. You have nothing that you came up with yourself. Nothing that you have came from you. You go, well, I work hard for what I, I worked hard to get where I am. Okay, who gave you the ability to work hard? Who gave you the willpower to do it? Who gave you the opportunities? Like, okay, you're good at numbers and you're an accountant. Who made you that way? Were you, did you make you that way? No. Somebody said it's the Shaquille O'Neal rule. Like, Shaq, we could do Yao Ming, he's a little taller, right? I don't know who's tall right now in the NBA, but those two. Um, But they dunk a basketball. It's ridiculous for them to get super pumped about it. They, They did nothing to make themselves over seven feet tall. Who made them seven feet tall? God did. It's the same with you. Everything you have is given to you by God. God gave me what I have. The air that fills your lungs, the blood that runs through your veins, the synapses firing in your brain. Every good thing can be traced back to the power and goodness of our God who created the universe. So that's the first part. God gave me what I have. The second part is this. God is in charge of what I have. God's in charge of it. If he gave it, he's also in charge of it. So I don't have to worry about it. Whatever God gave me, he's in charge of it. He'll protect what needs to be protected. I don't have to worry about it. He is in charge of it. He's author and he's perfector. He is creator and he is sustainer. He gave me what I have. He's in charge of what I have. And then the third standard of simplicity is this. God expects me to share what I have. God gave me what I have, God is in charge of what I have, and God expects me to share what I have. The Bible says that you are blessed materially for one reason and one reason only, and that is to be a blessing to others. This spiritual discipline of simplicity is directly tied to generosity and open-handedness. So if you are unwilling to give what you have, share what you have, use what you have, in God's kingdom, then you are very obviously overly concerned with your possessions and thus not practicing this spiritual discipline of simplicity. So these are the standards of simplicity. Say them with me, okay, on three. They'll be, they're up there. We'll say them together. Ready? One, two, three. God Gave me what I have. God is in charge of what I have. And God expects me to share what I have. That's it. When you're feeling yourself distracted by possessions and material things and greed and whatever, when you feel yourself leaning towards the guy in the parable who had a problem, turn these into questions. Ask yourself if you really believe them. Do I really believe that God gave me everything I have? Do I really believe these things? Do I believe them so much at my core that they produce action? They change who I am. They make me who I am, these beliefs. Do I take credit for things? Am I worried about my stuff all the time, hoarding and keeping? Am I quick to share and give? Ask yourself if you really believe this stuff. Let me show you one more scripture um, as we close this morning. Um, Hebrews 13, verse 5. It says this, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. So that's, that's the command, that's the principle. Keep your life free of the love of money and be content with what you have. The next part of this verse, though, is what I want you to see. It makes it possible to do this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So it comes down to trust, right? This whole thing, as long as you don't trust your father in heaven, you will never cease to reach for more and more and more. More money, bigger house, newest car, latest gadget, status that you get from the clothes you wear and the trips you take, a bigger retirement account. And it's, it's exhausting for your soul, The rest you really need, the joy your heart really longs for that transcends the here and the now. You don't get that. That's found when you trust him. Simplicity is about trust, that our God is all-powerful and good, that he is able and willing to take care of us that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that he has your ultimate eternal good in mind. And kids, kids will take as much stuff as you'll give them. They are bottomless pits, right? More stuff. You just give whatever you give them, they will take. Toys, trips, gadgets, outfits, whatever it is. I mean, you, you were a kid once, right? So you know. Here's the thing. You're not a kid anymore. You're not a kid anymore. It's time. It's it's time to change the way you think about the stuff that you have. It it may produce some momentary happiness, but it really has nothing to do with the long-term joy that your heart longs for. It's time for simplicity. God gave me what I have. God's in charge of what I have. And God expects me to share what I have. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your mercy that you speak to us every time we are willing to listen. I pray as always that whatever was of me would be quickly forgotten today and whatever is of you would stick with us, haunt us, change us. That like a seed, it would find good soil in our hearts. That it would begin to grow from belief into faith and into action as faith always does. That it would produce fruit, bear fruit in our lives. I pray for the person in this room who has yet to give their lives over to you completely. I pray that this would be a decision moment. As we continue in an attitude of prayer, just, if that's you, I just want to give you a moment. Maybe as we talked through the the idea of trusting God, this whole thing being built on trust, your soul longing for joy and fulfillment that only God can provide. You're going, man, I haven't done that. I I haven't experienced that. Just in this moment right now, just ask God to show you what that means. Surrender your life to Him. Ask Him to help you find your joy and satisfaction in Him and Him alone. First step of obedience before anything else, before any spiritual discipline or anything like that, before any spiritual focus, first step of obedience is to say, God, I want to depend on You for my joy. I want to depend on You for my life. I want to depend on You for what I have. I want to be content in you no matter if I have stuff or don't have stuff. I want to surrender to you. So just in your own words, tell the Lord that. And make today the day of your salvation, the day when God transformed you, when you gave your life over to Jesus. Lord, I pray for those that are in that boat today. I pray right now that you would overcome obstacles and questions and excuses God, they would trust you. Even if they're scared, even if there's doubts, even if there's questions, that they would that they would trust you today. Put their trust and hope completely and totally in you. I pray for those of us who are already your followers, your people, as we deal with this, this insatiable desire we have to have to, to get more, to, to gather more, to hoard more. As we try to live out the spiritual discipline of simplicity, I pray, Jesus, that whatever excuses are popping into our heads as we listen to the sermon and read these scriptures, whatever justifications and rationalizations are, are, are jumping into our minds, God, I just pray that, they, that we would accept where we're at really, that we, wouldn't, that we wouldn't allow those to lead us anywhere. And instead, we would say, God, we've, we're, we're messed up in this area. The Holy Spirit, help us. Help us reorganize our lives. It may take something big. It may take some big decisions. Help us with that, Lord. We give this all to you. We trust you with it. It's in your holy name that I pray. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for coming today. Why don't you stand with me? We've got one last song we'd love to sing with you. Our prayer workers are at the side to pray for you during this song or after this song. Make sure you talk this over with your life group. Go to Connection Central if you haven't plugged into a life group, we'll get you plugged in. And as always, my challenge to you is to not let this stop with you. Just like you were helped to take your next step towards God, so go out and help others. Open the scriptures to Luke chapter 12, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. God bless. We'll see you next week for the last week in our Focus series. Don't miss it.